Um, one of the greatest things I get to do as a youth pastor is get to take students on mission trips and uh, immerse them into these different environments. And we are, we're doing that with uh, our high school kids. We're going to Guatemala and immerse them in their environments. And, uh, but the high school kids are high school kids. And what happens is a lot of times the environment gets immersed on them. You know what I mean? They get dirty. And uh, a long time ago, um, I took a group of students to Mexicali on a mission trip. Um, in fact, our church used to go down to Mexicali and do that. And we would go down and we would camp in this gigantic field with over 5,000 other kids. And we would camp and we would work all day, do vacation Bible schools and construction projects. And then we'd have a like, kind of big campfire with 5,000 people. Um, and then we'd go back to our mission sites. And it was really incredible. Um, but you can imagine you take a group of students and then 5,000 students in this gigantic field. And there's so much dirt and so much dust these kids would just be so dirty, which is normal, right? That's what happens. And then their parents would pick them up and they're like, oh, you're so dirty, right? Because when you come and you approach them as a clean person, you realize you are so dirty. And, and that's kind of the part of the normal, but you're a parent and they're your kid and they're really dirty. And so you still embrace them and you go, they're a little dirty and it'll all be okay. Well, this one year there was this girl and she was really dirty. I mean, she was the dirtiest kid I've ever been a part of in youth group forever. She just for, like, missed the hyg- a hygiene talk or something. I don't know. She was just a dirty kid. And I'm convinced that what happened is she, because of camping and eating and going to the bathroom and eating and camping, she just did not take care of herself and ended up getting violently sick. So there was this sophomore girl, and she was so dirty. And her so dirty in her head, her toe, her hair. I mean, she just reeked. But then she ended up getting sick. And really sick, like the kind of sick where we went to the infirmary and we're like, um, you know, what do we do? Could we give her some water? And she's like, no, she is really sick. We need to get her um, hydrated and get her on a plane and get her home so she can see a doctor and be with her family. I mean, really sick. And I'm like, oh, geez. And I mean, I'm an experienced youth pastor at the time, probably 24, so I'm like an expert at this kind of stuff. And uh, so, so I'm like, all right, let's do this thing. So my wife and I, we load up a car with this really dirty, disgusting girl because she's now puked on her shirt and her hair. I mean, she's just like disgusting. You know, I mean, I love her. God bless her. But she was disgusting. And, um, and you don't think much of it because you're with all these gross, disgusting other kids. You know, it's not a big deal. But all of a sudden, I, we were driving um, up through Mexicali to Tijuana into San Diego, and I start getting cold sweats as I drive into the San Diego airport. And people from San Diego are beautiful. Right? They are beautiful. And they take such good care of themselves and their bodies and they're lotioned up and they're beautiful. And all of a sudden I'm walking through the terminal with this dirty girl going, oh my goodness, the people who are going to sit next to her are going to be horrified to have to sit next to this dirty girl who has puke in her hair and on her shirt. Because I was 24, I didn't help her with the cause. I was like, let's just get her on a plane. I didn't know any better at the time and so I feel bad about that. But it was horrible to walk through the airport with this poor, sick, puke, dirty girl, knowing that she's going to sit next to this beautiful supermodel and her husband and their beautiful kids. And however it was going to work out, I was just horrified. And, uh, and I thought about that because this morning, we're going to take this, this opportunity to look at the scripture. We're going to kick off our summer series about spending time in the scriptures. And uh, the passage that we look at this morning talks about scripture being a mirror. And when you're camping, you don't get a chance to look into the mirror. You're just camping. You're having a good time. You're sick. You're throwing up. It doesn't matter because you're dirty. It doesn't matter. There's no mirrors everywhere. Right here, we looked in the mirror. We're checking each other out. We're like, oh, look, look how good you look. You're so good and ready. I'm like, I'm sweating through my shirt already, so I'm a little insecure. You know, I got, we all look in the mirror to check this stuff out. But when we don't, when we don't get a, a, a baseline checking in on how we're doing, it can often be embarrassing. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at a great passage of Scripture that's going to kick off our series, and it's found in James chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, turn to James chapter 1 or in your phone, 
um, dial yourself there. James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25, it says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. May God add his blessing on the reading of his word. says, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. That's a no-brainer statement. Of course, we, want, we listen to the word of God, and we want to put it into practice. But James says, this is what it's like, right? It's like a man who, looking at himself in the mirror, forgets what he looks like. And I don't know anybody who looks into a mirror and forgets what they look like, but I think what happens a lot of times is we look into a mirror, and we kind of get a Oh, that we kind of get a, like a picture of who we are, and then we go and live our lives. And you guys are beautiful, and it's obvious that you look in mirrors all the time, and you're, you're all taking good care of yourself. I've had a struggle with this my whole life, and my poor son um, carries my same DNA. He has this heart for people and for Jesus like his mom in a sense of fashion for me, so it's not really that helpful. But uh, at the end of the year, they do like these end-of-the-year plays and musicals for school. And uh, they did a choir uh, thing. And so my wife and I, being good supportive parents, we showed up. And Katie made sure he was dressed all appropriately and had a nice button-up shirt. His glasses were clean and we were good to go. But unfortunately, the, uh, the choir concert was after recess. And so he goes and plays in recess and comes up. And this is a picture of my son, uh, front row. Yes. So good. Front row for the world to see and everyone going, that's your kid? That's how you dress your kid in the morning? Like, no, we didn't dress our kid. This is how he dresses himself. And then my wife looks at me and goes, he's your son. And I go, I know, it's so embarrassing, right? Because we go and we look at ourselves in the mirror and then we often forget. It says when we look at the word of God and don't do what it says, it's like we take this glancing look in the mirror and forget really what we say. And the truth is when we look in the mirror and we, and we don't do what it says and we forget, um, it can actually be embarrassing, and what I mean by embarrassing is, um, when we, we can take that down now. My son's going to be horrified at that. Um, but when we look at it, it's embarrassing to look and forget. And James, this book was obviously written to a community of people who knew their Bibles. They knew the Word of God. And the problem with the, with the community that James is writing to is they knew their Bibles back and forth. They did sword drills when they were a kid. They memorized Scripture. They had it down. They got all the Awanos badges. They were set. They were an awesome community, and they knew their word of, of God like nobody's business. But the problem is they didn't put it into practice. They weren't practicing what they're doing. In the whole book of James, people, we love reading, especially in student ministry, because it's so practical. It just says, do this. This is what it looks like. If you want to know what a follower of Jesus looks like, this is what it is. This is what you do. And you see in the verses immediately before and, be, and after this, verse 19, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you that can save you. And then the verse that we looked at, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. And at the end, it says, do not consider those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and the religion is worthless. Religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows and, who are in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James was writing saying, listen, you brainiacs who know the Bible, you are so biblically literate and that's so great. But unless you actually do what it says, 
You are foolish. It is embarrassing to call yourselves followers of Jesus because you know all this stuff, but you're letting your mouth run crazy, right? That you're not taking care of the poor and those and the oppressed and the weakest among you. You claim to be Christians. You claim to know all this stuff, but your actions don't match. And it's like looking into a mirror and forgetting what you look like. And Christians who know all this stuff and don't do it, we're running around with our shirts a little off kilter, with sweat stains on our armpits, you know, with hair off and food in our mouth. Like that's what we're, it's embarrassing. It's not, it's not career ending, but it's embarrassing when we do that. And, um, and it's a very hard concept because when you think about how do you mature in Christ, it's way easier to learn stuff. We want to learn information than it is to actually do it. And I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with students who just sit down and they get in my face all the time. They always say, Ben, I'm ready to go deep with Jesus. Youth group is fun for the kids, but I'm now ready to go deep. And I'm like, like, how deep are you talking? You know, like deep. Like the Greek and Hebrew deep. Yes, I want to go deep. I'm like, okay, that's great. But let's just take one quick look at this passage of Scripture. It says, don't just merely be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. How are you doing loving those freshmen who aren't that deep? Oh, how are you doing loving that awkward kid at your school? Oh, how are you doing with your, with your money and your technology abuses? Oh, you know, it's like, okay, just kidding, I don't want to go deep anymore, right? We want to go back um, to where we are. And, and as being a youth pastor, I think one of the most embarrassing things for students, and I'll tell them this next hour, the most embarrassing thing for students is we go away to winter camp and we have this amazing encounter with God. God shows up, like he shows up in his actual person in front of our kids, and they become Christians, and it's like this amazing thing, and when they weep, and us as youth leaders, we hug them, we're like, this is the greatest moment of our entire life, and we have this moment on Saturday night, and it might be because there's not a lot of sleep, and they haven't been eating well, and there's all sorts of things that go into that, but there's this moment where they fall in love with Jesus, and you have these encounters, and for those of you who have been to camp or on retreats like that, right, these moments, and they're so real, and as a youth leader and as a youth pastor, I get so excited. And then we get down the hill. And if you've been a parent, you know exactly what happens. The parent, the kid comes to you and says, Mom, Dad, I, I met Jesus. And I wanted to confess that I haven't been that good of a kid. I've been lying to you. And I haven't done my chores. I've been so rude to my sister. And you know what? Because I love Jesus, I'm going to be a, more, a better part of our family. And I'm going to contribute more. That's what happens, Right? No, they're tired and they're exhausted. And they're like, Mom, ah, I want to go to McDonald's or In-N-Out or whatever the thing is. Where's my food? And where's my homework? And all guaranteed, every kid who comes back from winter camp spends the next week being grounded because they're so rude to their parents when they get back. And it's horrifying as a youth pastor to watch this because you see this moment where they say yes to Jesus and then their actions immediately betray, right, this moment that they had. And so it's not, not career-ending, it's not life-changing, we've all been there, but it's an embarrassment. It's embarrassing if we look in the mirror and we forget. But I think what's even more so than embarrassing, what's actually horrifying, is if we get into the rhythm of never actually looking into the mirror at all. It is horrifying to be people who do not reflect. Looking in the mirror are people who reflect, are people who want to go how do I look? What's going on with my life? Oh, I'm going to change my clothes. They don't match or whatever, right? But what that's a bigger picture is, is people who reflect, who take time to go, how am I doing as a person? Who am I? What's going on in my world? And, re- and notice those things and move forward. And I am one of the 
worst people at this. In fact, I had this appointment this week with this woman, and I blew her off last week. because was a friend of a friend, and I'm like, ah, who's this woman? Like, whatever, I'm too busy. And I didn't get an email out, and I double-booked, which I always do. And all of a sudden, I'm on this conference call in my office, but it sounded like I was on the computer with all my friends, but it was a legitimate conference call. And this woman shows up in this pantsuit, and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, maybe can we meet next week? Like, totally, I mean, I didn't mean to blow her off, but I just didn't, I was doing something, you know? And she's like super gracious. She's like, sure, Ben. Um, we'll see you next week. So she comes back a week again, and it was like the hottest day of the year. So I'm in like this Duke t-shirt and my khaki pants and flip-flops, all dressed for work because I'm a youth pastor, and that's how I really dress. And uh, and this woman comes in in her pantsuit and beautiful scarf, and we sit down and we start talking. And all of a sudden, as she's telling me her story, I'm like, you're the mayor of Fairfax. Like, you started this nonprofit. You're the president of this. Like, she's like this bigwig in our county who loves kids and wants to partner with our student ministry. And I'm like, just... (laughs) horrified that I was just blew her off that I had no idea about this woman because I'm just doing my own thing and say, ah, who wants to meet with me, whatever, right? Because I was not reflective. I did not take one minute to even think about what really did this person want? You know, because I just flashed through an email. I was not reflective and I was horrified. And she was so gracious to me, so gracious to me. And thank, I'm thankful that people are gracious to me. When I was dating Katie, um, I love Katie. And my dream was, I'm like, I, had, I planned this perfect date. We had a long distance relationship. So we only had these momentary weekends of love and, and kissing. And so what we did is she came down from Chico to Santa Barbara. And I created this amazing weekend for her. Um, I was gonna, we went on this beautiful hike into the mountains. And then I made this amazing stir-fry. It was the only dish I knew how to make in college, this huge vegetable stir-fry with bok choy and other Chinese-sounding stuff. It was great. And, um, and, and so she did it. She went on the hike. She ate my food because uh, she loved me, and I was really cute at the time, and, and it was super great. And, uh, and as we uh, went from just like the young love part of dating and actually like shared life, she finally had the guts and said, Ben, you need to understand, I hate hiking. And I hate vegetables. <laughs> Steak and potatoes, that would be awesome. Bok choy, not so much. And I'm horrified. Here I was trying so hard to love somebody, but because I didn't take any time to think about who they were and ask questions and figure out anything, I was just like, whatever. And I was horrified to realize my attempt at love totally missed the bucket. I was a good kisser, and so I made up for it. Um, <laughs> but it was still horrifying. In... Um, in, just, in, in 2 Kings um, chapter 22, there's a story of a king named Josiah who had a horrifying experience because he didn't just make an, an, a, an, a mistake. He wasn't just not reflective uh, with a girl, with one of his concubines or with anything. I, he was unreflective in a really awful category, in the category of God, right? He was a king. He was a king at eight. And this is the context in which he grew up in. His dad was killed by his advisors, uh, and he was propped up as king at, at eight. So there's this whole corrupt system that he was the king of, and he was just a puppet for that context. And uh, the Bible says in, in 2 Kings 19 and 20 how corrupt their country was. It was so corrupt. These are some of the things that, that characterized. They, um, they had pagan shrines. They had altars to Baal. They had these Asherah poles, which were like a way to worship uh, Baal's goddess wife. Uh, they built pagan altars and temples. Um, one of the kings actually sacrificed his own son. Um, they practiced sorcery, and um, they consulted with mediums and psychics. They, the claim was that they murdered innocent people. And this was God's people living the godly life. And Josiah was brought up in this context thinking, this is my world, these are my people, we're God's chosen people. We are God's chosen people, I'm the king, I'm God's representative on earth, and just lived in the status quo. 
Well, in Second Kings 22, uh, Josiah sends someone uh, into, the, into the temple to do some house cleaning, and one of the secretaries finds the, the book of the law, finds the, basically the, the scroll of Deuteronomy, and he reads it, and he goes, oh, man, the king needs to read this. And so um, he brings it to the king, and the king reads the book of the law. And all of a sudden, it was like this mirror that was held up. He was the king. He was doing great. He had wives and concubines. And, uh, you know, and he was worshiping Baal. And he had all these uh, Asherah poles. And, you know, there's death and destruction everywhere. But he was the king. And all of a sudden, he was faced with the book of the law. And he was horrified. Scripture says that he tore his robes, which is like a public expression of mourning. He was horrified to realize the way in which he thought he was supposed to be living was a complete mismatch from what the Word of God says. And so he freaks out and he tells the priest, says, listen, you need to go and figure out who we are supposed to be as God's people and we will enact those reforms. And Josiah has gone down in history as one of the most amazing kings in Israel's history because he brought about these reforms, because he saw this reflection of who God wanted the people of Israel to be and didn't just go, oh, I guess I'm not. Not a big deal. I'm the king, whatever. But he looked at it. He reflected on it. And he allowed God to change him. And he used his power and influence to change the trajectory of Israel. It's an incredible and awesome story. But when I was reading that, I I, I had paused because what if we in the church are 2 Kings 19 and 20 people and not 2 Kings 22 people? Right? What if we are just living this life of this Christian faith, having a great time, going along with the program, coming to church, singing worship songs, tithing? That's so great. And we've missed what God actually has for us. Like that wouldn't just be embarrassing. That would be horrifying. And as I was preparing this sermon, I kind of got this cold sweat like this really could be horrifying. There's this survey that went out in 2005 by the Lilly Institute. Uh, it's called the National Study of Youth and Religion. And what it did was it, it surveyed thousands of, of, of high school students and asked them what their opinion was of God and spirituality. And, um, and this is what they concluded. They concluded that the majority of teenagers, the, the religion that they follow is not the Christian Orthodox uh, God that's found in the Bible, but it's this moral therapeutic deism. That's a really fancy word. But these are five characteristics of how the majority of youth view the world and view God. One is that God exists who created order in the world that watches over human life on earth. All right. God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's own life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And good people go to heaven when they die. And if you read that, and in fact, when I read it and I'm just kind of skimmed through, I'm like, that's pretty good stuff, right? It's all nice, good stuff. But that's, a, that's kind of, it's a tweak. It's not really Orthodox Christianity. And there's all these books written like, oh, why are the students like this? But the truth is the students are like that because the adults are like that. They are only living into the faith that parents have. The faith that parents have are these real things. They're not just these things we believe, it's how we live them out. And you may have all the right words with your kids and with your family, but the the faith that you live and the values that you live is what passed down to your kids. And this is what the kids of, of America in general view. And so I worry, I wonder, oh my goodness, we might be second kings, 19 and 20 people, 
not 2 Kings 22 people. And the way in which we do that, the way in which we transition from being people who just go along in life and who love God, he's invisible and he loves us and life's all good, the way we get through that is we stop and we reflect on the word of God and we allow the word of God to speak to us, to shape us and to mold us. And what James says, right, he says, Um, that we don't just look and forget, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. And so this summer, we are going to do that. We are going to encourage you and all of us to look into the Word of God. Before we look at uh, what we're going to do this summer, I want to unpack this last statement here. There's three things that James says that we're to do, that we are to look intently into the perfect law, that we are to continue in it, and that we're to not forget, but we are to do, and we do, we are going to be blessed. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says this, For the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, and nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare, before the eyes of him whom we must give account. And we think of the word of God, we can't just think of it as a Bible textbook or something to know, but it is the word of God, right? It is this thing that, this mirror in which it tells us about ourselves. It cuts to the very quick of who we are. And if we're going to be the kind of people that God has designed for us to be, we don't just go, God's invisible, and I learned a couple things here and there, and I'm going to live my life, but that we daily, we regularly are in the Word of God, not just going, this is really interesting, but going, God, what do you have to say to me? If this is a mirror, and this is how you long for your people to live, what do you have to say to me? And it is an awful and horrifying challenge if we take that serious. If we say, God, search me, test me, know me, reveal any offensive way in me. Use the Bible as a benchmark of who I am and how I'm doing. And all of a sudden we start thinking, how does my theology match against the Word of God? How does my practice and lifestyle match against the Word of God? As I'm reading through Scripture, all of a sudden I have to start asking questions. Is this, am I doing the right thing with my finances? Am I doing the right thing with my media choices? Am I, doing, am I expressing my sexuality appropriately? Am I doing whatever the thing that you called me to do or not doing? Where have I missed it? And by myself with an invisible God who's not really going like to knock on my door and guilt and shame me, I'm, I'm always doing just fine. But God says that we must open up the Word of God. We look intently in it, not for knowledge, but for transformation. We look at the Word of God and say, this is what the Word of God says, and therefore okay, God, now it's up to me whether or not I'm going to live into that. Josiah tore his clothes and transformed Israel. What are we supposed to do? The next thing it says that we are to continue in it. One of my favorite Amy Grant songs of all time is found in Psalm 119, verse 105, and says this, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. It's the best song of all time. It says, I have taken an oath and have confirmed it, and I will follow your righteous laws. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light into my path. God's word is not the map for all of life. It's not in 20 years, this is who you're going to be and what you're going to do. The word of God is a lamp. It it illuminates the next step. Thankfully, it doesn't illuminate everything. We'd be in big trouble. It just illuminates the next step. So we listen to the word of God, we reflect on it, and we continue in it. We go, okay, this is my step. 
I don't know what's next in the next step, but I'm going to continue in it. As we study the Word of God, things come up. Okay, God, here's the next step. It's just a lamp. I wish it was a gigantic spotlight that just led us where to go. And it's not that way. God, I think, wants us to have this intimate relationship with him, this partnership with him, where we listen and we wrestle with and we obey and we walk into it. And finally, it says to not forget, but do. And if you do this, you will be blessed. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, after he gives this, entire, this long sermon, he says, if you listen to these words of mine and put them into practice, you will be like a man who builds a house on the rock. Right? For the winds come, the storms will rage, but your house will stand. If you listen to my words and do not put them into practice, you are like a man who has built his house on the sand. And when the storms come and the winds rage, your house will tumble and fall. I wish so much that the word of God said, when you trust me, there will never be storms. That'd be so great. That's what our students believe. If you trust God and do good, the storms will never come. But when we look at the word of God, we go, the storms do come. But if we trust in God, if we do what he says, our house can withstand the storm. And so the way in which we do this is not simply by someone up here standing before you saying, this is the place that you need to change. This is where you're missing it. All of us are approaching Jesus from so many different backgrounds. We just can't do that anymore. We used to. It used to be great. But now we can't. We come from approaching Jesus from so many different places. But the thing that we have to have in common is that in common, we must move towards Christ. In common, our language has to be, we are going to see what God has to say and illuminate us, reflect on us. And by God's grace, we're going to try to continue in that so that we may be blessed. And so this summer, we're going to spend the whole summer on a challenge for the whole church. We're going to invite all of us in the church to read through the whole New Testament. It's kind of a big, it's, it's daunting. It's five chapters a day or so. And uh, I found in the, when I go to the bathroom, I can get through three pretty good, but that still leaves two. So five chapters, it's a, it's, a, it's a chunk of time. I get that. But the only way in which we individually and as a church are going to move forward is we have to be people who are shaped by the word of God so the Holy Spirit can grab a hold of our hearts and transform us. And so we as a church are going to spend all summer doing this. And it's going to be pretty interesting, I think, to say the least. So we have the old school paper copies on the Have We Met table. Um, if you go to uh, on the Friday Blast or on our Facebook page, there's going to be a link to a U version so you can have it on your phone. And, uh, and then on Sunday, every day th throughout the summer, our staff is going to do a little, write a little reflection on these five chapters. So it, at least that day, I'm going to, you'll get up really early. You're going to read those passages of Scripture. You're going to write a short little reflection, and that'll be on our Facebook every day. So hopefully as a community, we'll kind of be encouraged by one another. And then the way that we're going to do our Sunday morning sermons is over that course of the week, over those 30 chapters or so, um, whoever's preaching is just going to take what they like best out of it. How fun is that? Or whatever God discerns that we need to say to you. And it's going to be a great summer, and it's going to be a challenging summer because it is not just a religious practice. I really hope you hear that. We are not doing this because we're like, oh, Marin Covenant Church, you, you don't know your Bible and it's so embarrassing when we do classes and you don't know anything. That's not at all what we're doing. We are doing this because we want to be people who are transformed by Jesus. It says, but whoever looks intently into the word of God and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. And you need to understand that we are inviting you and ourselves to look intently into the heart of Jesus. All of this is not about being religious people. It is not even about being righteous people. It is about becoming followers of Jesus. Jesus 
wants to know us and to love us and to transform us and to heal us and to use us for an amazing thing. It is our gift and honor to be a part of establishing and and expanding God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we get to do. But there's things that we need to know how to do. And so he's inviting us to look intently at him. He's asking us to continue in him, to pick up our cross daily and to follow him. And Jesus says, when you do this, you will be blessed. Not necessarily with finances, not necessarily with babies, not necessarily with a new house or a better job. Unfortunately, that would be great if it was like that all the time. But we will be blessed people. Our house will stand the storm. And imagine our whole church being people who are regularly leaning in to Jesus, looking at the word of God, and walking around as people who are made in Christ's image, not with our shirts all awkward and embarrassed, or not horrified as dirty kids with puke in our hair, but as noble children of God doing what God has for us. So that's our plan for the summer, and we're really looking forward to you joining us. If you'd stand for the benediction, and, uh, and then we will call it quits for the day. All right, you, Marin Covenant Church, my fellow sisters and brothers in Christ, my partners in this thing called the church, Jesus loves you and longs for you to be molded and shaped into his image. So may we together lean into the word of God, allow it to reflect back on us, embrace the grace that Jesus offers, and may we be faithful to do the little steps that he puts in front of us. May we be a faithful body that gives all honor and glory to Jesus Christ, both now and forevermore. Amen and amen.